I'm not sure how long that break will be, uh, but we had been in the book for many, many months, and I felt like it was a good time, uh, particularly with the summer months ahead, particularly with people being in and out because of vacation and travel plans, uh, to go and to turn our attention to one of the most practical books of the Bible. One scholar wrote about the book of Proverbs that it is the Ten Commandments in shoe leather, meaning this is where the rubber meets the road. In this book, how do we relate to the world around us? How do we deal with the relationships in our lives? It's these types of questions that this book, the book of Proverbs, seeks to answer. Now before I dive into the passage Uh, Because this is the first Sunday that we're opening up this book, I want to say a few things about the book, even before I begin uh, to read it, before we begin our study. Three things, specifically. First of all, what is a proverb? A proverb literally, the word literally means a comparison. It's a comparison, and that's how we think of it. We think of it as, as a couple of phrases that are grouped together that are comparing something. We think of those short, uh, pithy statements as being proverbs. But the word actually has a broader meaning than just those parallelisms or those pithy statements that we find uh, to a great deal in this book. It actually means, it actually can mean any kind of sage pronouncement, any kind of wise declaration. And that brings, that brings me to the second thing I want to say before we begin. And that is that the first nine chapters of this book are made up of, well, it's kind of debatable how many discourses or how many sermons, but the first nine chapters of Proverbs are made up of some of these long discourses. We don't get to those pithy statements that you think of when you hear the word Proverbs until chapter 10, really. Now, there's, a few, there's, there's some of them in the opening chapters, but really the bulk of them come beginning at chapter 10. And it's at chapter 10 that maybe the book gets really intimidating and really confusing because it seems to jump all over the place. But we're essentially, this summer, as we kind of open up this book, we're not going to study this book like we've studied other books, where we just go from verse to verse, to chapter to chapter. You can't do that with the book of Proverbs. And so essentially what we're going to do is we're going to skip the first nine chapters. Not today. Today we're going to be looking at the introduction. But then after that, we're going to basically be skipping the nine chapters. We're going to be jumping into the content of chapter 10 and following. And some of the big areas that the, the, the writer of Proverbs, and specifically Solomon, wants to teach us about our lives. And the reason I do that is not because chapters not 1 through 9 are unimportant, but because chapters 1 through 9 basically have one point. And the point is choose wisdom over folly. And the writer does that as a father to his son as he creates these two personifications of wisdom and folly. And he encourages his son over and over again to choose wisdom rather than folly. We'll we'll get more to that uh, in the future. But this summer, we're going to be talking about what this book, what these Proverbs have to teach us about work, about relationships, about family, 
about our words. That's the second thing I want to say. The third thing I want to say before we begin our passage is Proverbs, and this is really important for us, because Proverbs, I know for some of us, is an intimidating book. We don't quite understand it. Proverbs is not a book of promises. Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's a book that gives general truth about the way the world normally works. Now, this is really important to understand when we're looking at Proverbs, when we're trying to interpret Proverbs. Because we have Proverbs such as Proverbs 10, verse 4, which says this, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, our experience would tell us that that just isn't the case all the time, right? Some of the laziest people in our world are some of the richest. And some of the hardest working people in our world are unfortunately some of the poorest. And so that is not making a promise. What it is doing is it's saying that this is generally the way things work. And it's also a commentary then about how we ought to live. We ought to live not as those who are slackers, but as those who work hard and work diligently. One that hits even closer to home for many of us is Proverbs 22.6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That has caused a lot of parents' angst. As, as, as children grow up and, and they go their wayward ways, we say, see, God's promises are not true. I did what I was supposed to do. But what we're not recognizing is that Proverbs is not a collection of promises. It's a collection of general truths about the way the world works. Now, intentional training of our children is essential. Absolutely, it's essential. But it's not a guarantee and so as we, as we read this book, we need to understand that Proverbs, we need to understand what Proverbs is, what Proverbs are. It doesn't mean that Proverbs doesn't contain any promises. It doesn't mean that Proverbs isn't true. It doesn't mean that God's word is not true. But when we read this book, we need to read it correctly. We need to read Proverbs as Proverbs. And we'll flesh that out more as we open up the book. So those are my three introductory statements. That was a long introduction. Uh, today I want to dive in and uh, just look at the introduction of this book. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Today we really just set the stage for our study before we jump into specific areas and practical areas of our lives. So listen as I read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, 
the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I got one word. Google. What do you think of when you hear the word Google? See, before the year 2000, that was a word that we rarely, if ever, used. And now it's a word that we use all the time, and it's a word that represents to us the overload of information in our modern world. It's an age that has been rightly labeled the information age. Consider these Google statistics. In 1998, there were an average of there was an average of 10,000 searches a day for information. One year later, in 1999, that number had jumped. The number of searches for information on Google had jumped to 3.5 million per day. And by two, 2012, that number had jumped to 3.3 billion searches for information a day. What that comes out to is about 38,000 searches for information every second of every day. There is no doubt that thanks to Google and other ways, we are overloaded, we are inundated with information. I know many of our kids, when they do school projects, they, they don't go to the, the family den anymore and go to that 20-volume Encyclopedia Britannica and pull off the one they need and dust off. The kids are looking at me like, what are you talking about? No, you just go to Wikipedia, right? Do you know if you put Wikipedia in a book, it would be over 2.5 million pages? It's, a, it's probably a bit larger than our 20, 30 set Encyclopedia Britannicas that many of us grew up with. Oh, we've, we've come to be a people who love to have facts at our fingertips. But here's the thing about this information overload. We really don't need more information. We need, in our world, to know how to use that information. We don't need to know more. We need to learn how to apply what we know. And the book of Proverbs offers us exactly that. That's what God wants to give you. That's what God wants to give the church. Not merely information, but the ability to handle and to apply that information. And so as we look at these first introductory verses of this book, I want us to think about two truths, two points from the book of Proverbs. And the first one is this. We don't need more information. We need to pursue wisdom. We don't need more information. We need to pursue wisdom. Of course, there's a, there's a key word as we open up this book. There's a key word that frames not just the opening verses to the book of Proverbs, but it really frames the whole book. It's the word wisdom. 
wisdom. The Hebrew word, chokmah, just to flaunt some of my Hebrew pronunciation. That's where I want us to begin, is camping out and thinking for a few minutes on wisdom. What is wisdom and what is it for? Solomon opens up this book. He begins to flesh out for us a little bit about what wisdom is. Let me say what it's not. Wisdom is not intelligence. To be wise is to not be intelligent. Intelligence may be part of it, but it's not necessary, necessarily a focus. Wisdom is also not up to us alone. The, Bible's, the Bible is clear that wisdom is not necessary, though we are called to pursue it. Wisdom is not necessarily something that we achieve all by ourselves. Wisdom is ultimately from God. And the clearest, the clearest example of that is the man who wrote this book, Solomon, the son of David, former king of Israel. It was written of Solomon in 1 Kings 4.29, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sands of the seashore. And Solomon now takes that wisdom that God has given him, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he now imparts it to you and to me, to the church. Seems that Solomon at least wrote these introductory remarks. We have good reason to believe Solomon wrote the first nine chapters, though we're not certain. Chapter 10, it's clear that it's Solomon that is writing the Proverbs beginning in that chapter. But then as we get into later chapters, there are some Proverbs, there is some wisdom that's not Solomon's, that, that he has simply compiled from other sources. But nonetheless, we can say that this wisdom is from Solomon by way of the Holy Spirit and by, the way, by way of the Word of God. And, and here in these opening verses, Solomon uses not only the word chokmah, meaning wisdom, but he uses several words which kind of fill in the picture, and they give us a, a full picture of what wisdom is. And that's what I want to look at for just a few minutes. I want to look at a few of these words. First, wisdom, chokmah. It can also be translated skill. Skill. In fact, that's how it's used in Exodus 35, 35. The same word when Moses speaks of constructing the tabernacle. He, that is God, it says, has filled them with skill, with chokmah, to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Wisdom is skill. See, this is helpful, I think, because it reminds us or it teaches us that wisdom is something that we need to learn. It's something we need to acquire. A life of wisdom is one that pursues the skill, pursues learning the skill of, of living. Let me repeat that. A life of wisdom is one that pursues learning the skill of living. Chokmah. 
But Solomon uses another word in verse 3. He uses the word which you find in your English translations there as instruction. The Hebrew word is musar. Instruction. It can also be translated discipline. Instruction or discipline. And this has to do with the way we acquire wisdom. The way we acquire skill. As I've heard it said before, you may have heard this, the man who would master life must master himself. Kind of a modern proverb, I suppose. Solomon will have a lot more to say about the mastery of self, about self-control, but this is a reminder that the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of learning the skill of living, is a discipline. It's not merely let go and let God fill me with wisdom. No, it's a discipline of learning. So we have wisdom in verse 2. We have instruction in verse 3. How about prudence in verse 4? You see it there before you. To give prudence to the simple. This is the Hebrew word orma. And it can be translated, this is interesting, it can be translated craftiness. It's actually the same Hebrew word that is used in Genesis 3 to describe, you know who? Satan. The serpent. It's the kind of wisdom that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 10 when he said to his disciples, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So wisdom is the skill of learning. Wisdom takes discipline, but wisdom also learns how to plan for what's ahead. Wisdom is strategic. It's, it's prudent. It's crafty. And then finally, just in these opening verses, as we fill in this picture of what is wisdom, look at those, those, uh, those verbs, or excuse me, those words, in righteousness, justice, and equity in verse 3. I'm not going to give you the Hebrew of those. That's a good translation of those three words in righteousness, justice, and equity. But what do these words tell us about wisdom? As Solomon opens up this this book, what, what do those words tell us? What they tell us is that wisdom has an ethical quality to it. In other words, wisdom is one of the good guys. Wisdom, given in the book of Proverbs, is true wisdom. It's life as God intended life to be lived. It's the good life. It's the right life. You see, Solomon gives us this full picture of what it is that we are to pursue in this age of information. We could look at more words, but I want to stop there. A life of acquired skill, a life of discipline, a life of discernment and care, a life of godly character. You put those things together and you have a life of wisdom. That's what we need to pursue. And that's what all of us need to pursue. Because that's the other thing he draws attention to here in these opening verses as he presents this material. Because maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I've got it. I've got wisdom. I'm cool. I know how to handle things. 
After all, this book was written to a young man. We hear that kind of language in verse 8. But friends, brothers and sisters, this book goes far beyond just youth. It actually gives us five, four different categories. All of these categories, all of these people clearly needing to pursue wisdom. He talks about the simple, those who are naive, we might say, those who are easily misled. They need to pursue wisdom. He talks about the young. That indeed is the context of this book. A father to his son, an older man to a youth, those who are inexperienced in life. You need wisdom. He talks about the fool, those who are opposed to God. Certainly they need wisdom. And then in verse 5, who does he call out to pursue wisdom? But the wise. He says, even you who are wise, you need to increase, you need to grow, you need to deepen your understanding and your skill in living. So this book is for all of us, no matter where you are in life. We all need to pursue wisdom. And I think as before we leave this first point behind, I think there are two really significant, obvious takeaways for us. First of all, we need to be teachable. We need to be teachable. We need to acknowledge that we don't have everything figured out. That in every area that the book of Proverbs is going to cover, work, relationships, family, that there are blind spots that we need to learn about that we need to grow in. That's the first thing. We need to be teachable. And the second thing is we need to be intentional. Obviously, you're sitting here. I'm starting a series on Proverbs. You, you made it. You, you were intentional at getting here, but you really have no choice now that you're here and listening to me. I'm talking about the intentionality going from this place. How are you being intentional about pursuing wisdom? That's why I'm always encouraging us to be, to be readers, to be sitting under those who have learned, those who have experienced. Not only that, but to be spending time with older men and older women. To be intentional about that. We all need to pursue wisdom. We all need skill in living. We need to be teachable. We need to be intentional. That's the first thing I want us to learn from these opening verses of Proverbs. But there's a second thing as well, and it's this. Wisdom begins and ends with the Lord. Wisdom begins and ends with the Lord. Let, let me give you some modern day parables, see if you can figure out the uh, the... the other side of this parable, let's just say. Don't judge a book by its cover. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. And then finally, you can't have your cake 
and eat it too. You see, we have, our culture has a host of modern parables. We also have ancient parables. We have wisdom literature from the Egyptian kingdom at the time of Abraham. We have the words of Ahagar from ancient Mesopotamia, 700 B.C. We have the Councils of Wisdom, which is a collection of Proverbs from 1500 B.C. My point is that whether it be modern, whether it be ancient, whether it be after this book that Solomon wrote, whether it be before this book that Solomon wrote, Proverbs are nothing new. Words of wisdom, even pithy words of wisdom, are in abundance. And it's a reminder that God gives grace even to the ungodly. And yet, as the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 29, the wisdom of the wise will perish. And so, as we embark on this study of wisdom, wanting to be be skillful in living, we must remember that true wisdom has a foundation. It must have the foundation of the Lord or else it can't be built. Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Solomon actually, in a sense, bookends these first nine chapters as he gives these discourses to his his son. Because in chapter 9, verse 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, he uses two different words, knowledge and wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge here in chapter 1, beginning of wisdom in chapter 9. But both words can be translated skill. The meaning is the same. Wisdom, the skill of living, begins and ends with the Lord. You're saying, well, what exactly does that mean? Especially, what does that phrase, the fear of the Lord, mean? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Let me give you three things. Three things that the fear of the Lord means for us. First of all, fear of the Lord means a deep-seated reverence and awe. Wisdom recognizes that God exists, that He is God, And that we are not. Isaiah 8, verse 13 says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. See, the fear of the Lord is a fear that makes you feel small. It's a fear that humbles you. C.S. Lewis once wrote, In God, you come up against something which in every respect is immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God as all. at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Good wisdom. Fear of the Lord begins with a simple acknowledgement of who He is and a reverence and an awe and everything fits into that context. That's the first thing. Secondly, the fear of the Lord is common in the Old Testament and it's common 
commonly found not just to describe reverence and awe towards Yahweh, but it also means loyalty to his covenant. Loyalty to his covenant. You'll notice even in Proverbs 1, the English word that is used is Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When Lord is capitalized all throughout like that, that is God's covenant name, Yahweh, that is being used there. In other words, the foundation of wisdom is found in not just recognizing that God is God and you are not, but it's found in relationship with that God. That's why when pagans were converted to Israel's God in the scriptures, they are then called God-fearers. They are those who are in relationship with Him. Psalm 33, 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. And then Ecclesiastes 12, 13, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. And so you take these two aspects of what it means to fear the Lord, what it means to build wisdom based upon fear of the Lord, You take these two things of reverence and relationship and they lead to one person. They lead to Jesus. See, it's no mistake that this book that we're about to embark on a study of was written by Solomon in the line of David. Solomon and all his wisdom is a mere shadow of what is to come. Matthew 1242, Jesus said to his disciples, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. A couple weeks ago, I made the statement, the point, that Jesus is enough. This morning, the sermon title is, Google Isn't Enough. Because you know what? Jesus is enough. As one of my favorite preachers once preached, we need Jesus to rescue us from our information. Jesus lived wisdom even from his youth. Luke chapter 2, they found him in the temple and they were amazed at his understanding, at his answers. Jesus not only lived wisdom, he is wisdom. Colossians 2, 3 says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not only did he live wisdom, not only is he wisdom, but he shows us the way of wisdom. He tells his followers in Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And then lastly, he promises to give that wisdom to us. Jesus promised that he would give his spirit who would guide us into all truth. Jesus' brother, his earthly brother James, says in James chapter 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God and he will give. You see, as we start this study of the book of Proverbs, as we start this this 
pursuit of learning the skill of living, we must have our eyes fixed on Jesus. He, might, he must not only be our foundation from which we start, but the one whom we constantly return to. Proverbs chapter 1 doesn't get us into the specifics, into the nitty-gritty of life. But it does set before us the path that we're going to seek to walk on. Because it challenges us about how to live wisely. How to live in the fear of the Lord. And generally speaking, how would we do that? I mean, when conflict or crisis of any sort arises in our lives, what does the fear of the Lord look like? Well, let me suggest this. Think of whatever conflict, think of whatever crisis you want to think about. And the way of wisdom begins by recognizing and remembering in that crisis, in that conflict, that God is God. That Jesus is on His throne. That He is reigning over you. He is loving you and interceding on your behalf. And therefore, it asks in the midst of that conflict or that crisis, Lord, what are you doing? Show me what you're doing. Which leads us to search the Scriptures. Which leads us to, to cry out to Him in prayer and humility. And leads to peace. Well, in the, in the face of a crisis or conflict, what does the way of folly or the way of the world, how does the way of the world handle? Well, the way of the world is stuck. It's stuck in the here and now. Its limits are the circumstances that you find yourself in. I don't know why this is happening. And it either results in arrogance or it results in anger or frustration or anxiety or even panic, which leads us to then think, I've got to fix this. And the fact of the matter is, you probably can't fix it. And so all the themes, even of today, come to, to a head in this, in pursuing wisdom in the fear of the Lord. Even as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, if God holds us and maintains us in his hands for his purposes, then we don't have to fix everything. We don't have to be frustrated at everything. But we need to pray and say, Lord, show me the way of wisdom. Give me the way of wisdom. As God hopefully challenges us by his word in these months to come, whether you're here this morning and you're young, or you're simple, or you're wise, I pray that we would all grow in our understanding, that we would grow in the skill of living, in our love for one another, in our love for the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the wisdom of Solomon and the wisdom that he imparts to his people, to your people. Father, we recognize that this is a skill that though some of us have learned to some degree, 
We all need to understand and learn better. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us, that you would apply these foundational things to our hearts, that even as we go from this place and face whatever we face in our lives, that we would be able to deal with it in a way that is wise, in a way that flows from fearing you. Lord, we need your grace. We need your spirit to do that. Make it so, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.